Welcome to another Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, intuitive medium, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. I created the show with the intention of empowering others to help and love themselves. Aside from weekly skin tips, you will hear me spotlight extraordinary souls from around the world who are making a difference by helping people in their own way. Together, we can all make a difference. And it starts with love, love from the hip. Acupuncture is defined as a form of alternative medicine involving the insertion of very thin needles through your skin at strategic points on your body. It is an ancient practice which began in China nearly 3,000 years ago. Around the 17th century in China, interest in acupuncture started to decline when it became regarded as superstitious and nonsensical. In 1822, by order of the emperor, acupuncture became excluded from the Imperial Medical Institute. And in 1929, with China's increasing interest in Western medicine, it became outlawed. Then in 1949, after the communist government took power, acupuncture had a resurgence, and the different branches of acupuncture theory and practice became known as TCM, or traditional Chinese medicine. With its growing curiosity in the 1950s, acupuncture research institutes became established throughout China. Doctors were having huge breakthroughs in research. Professor Han in Beijing, for example, discovered acupuncture's release of neurotransmitters. It was only a matter of time before acupuncture spread to other countries. By the 6th century, Korea integrated their version of Chinese acupuncture into their medical system. It arrived in Vietnam around the 8th century. Jesuit missionaries brought it to the West, and France was the first to adopt the practice in the 16th century. Then in the first half of the 19th century, acupuncture found its way to America and Britain. It was a Chinese monk physician named Chiso who brought acupuncture to Japan in the 6th century, and for quite some time, knowledge was exchanged between people in China and Japan. Unfortunately, this ended when the Japanese government closed off and isolated the country in 1635. This period of isolation lasted for about 200 years and highly influenced the direction of acupuncture. In 1868, the Japanese government ended any support for traditional medicine and techniques, therefore only allowing Western medicine to be its medical practice. Interestingly, advancements and expansion of Japanese acupuncture can be credited to the blind. During the Edo period between 1603 to 1868, if one wasn't a samurai, farmer, craftsperson, merchant, or priest, they were considered non-human, but blind people were given an exception. The Japanese government authorized acupuncture and massage as a form of welfare for the blind. Acupuncture was viewed as an important part of the curriculum at the first school for the blind. In fact, the father of Japanese acupuncture was blind himself. Waiichi Sugiyama was born into a samurai family, but could not continue his family's legacy due to an illness which left him blind in infancy. It is said that Sugiyama traveled to Inoshima after being told he was not good enough to practice on patients, where he took refuge in a cave, fasting and praying to the Japanese goddess of good fortune, Benton, to help improve his skills. It was in the days and weeks of isolation in devotion to Benton in which he came up with a concept which would revolutionize Japanese acupuncture. As the story goes, Sugiyama accidentally got pricked by what seemed to be a pine needle within bamboo. This gave him the idea for Shinkan, or a guide tube. Shinkan allowed for an acupuncture needle to be inserted through a tube which stretches the skin, minimizing the pain of actually inserting the needle. Sugiyama's invention, combined with extremely fine silver and gold needles, allowed for seemingly painless acupuncture which helped to regain its popularity in Japan once again. Unfortunately, as with any ancient wisdom or practice which gets translated over and over, there are elements which get lost in translation. For acupuncture, many believe the ancient concepts of qi flowing through the meridians has been replaced with a more scientific explanation based on the physiological reaction of, acu of the acupuncture needles stimulating the nerve endings and altering brain function. Fortunately, however, the ancient practice is still trusted to be done by the blind. In fact, today, roughly 30% of Japan's acupuncturists are blind. 
Science has proven that with the loss of sight, the brain rewires itself to enhance the other senses. Hence, blind people have the extra capacity devoted to the other senses, such as touch and sound, producing a superacuity that few sighted people can conceive. Psychologists say, while our five senses help to send information to our brains in order to assist us in understanding and perceiving the world around us, it is our sixth sense which allows our bodies to drive our minds. They refer to our sixth sense as proprioception, which is our ability to keep track of where our body parts are in space, or our interoception, which is the process by which our nervous system senses, interprets, and integrates signals from our body, providing a map of our internal landscape across conscious and unconscious levels. Therefore, it is our sixth sense which helps us to establish a superior sense of self-awareness, in addition to allowing us to better hear and follow our intuition. Perhaps the blind naturally have a heightened sixth sense and are easily guided by their instinctive awareness, being closely tethered to their soul. Ultimately, the ability of blind acupuncturists to sense the movement of subtle energies within and around the body is downright extraordinary. On today's Love from the Hip, I am elated to have David Harmon here with us. David is a doctor of acupuncture and an astrologer. He will share his wisdom of acupuncture, how he ties in astrology with acupuncture, and how we can prepare for astrological energy on the horizon. He will also explain his practice of remote acupuncture, what your zodiac angels are, and so much more. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The passing of our loved ones always proves to be very challenging, but can be met with ease when working with someone who can hold space, compassion, and especially someone who works across the veil. Allow Sakura Sutter, multidimensional channeler and intuitive medium, to be your spiritual guide with the other side. No matter if you choose to communicate with your transitioned loved ones to help you with the grieving process, or connect with spiritual, galactic, and other light beings to explore and dive in more on your spiritual path, Sakura can assist you. Not only does Sakura channel insightful messages, but she also incorporates her metaphysical tools to help you move through blocks and unprocessed emotions and feelings, providing you with a closure, relief, and new mindset to move forward. So don't hesitate to take your first step towards healing so you can start living your life once again. Remote sessions available. Contact Sakura at sakurasutter.com. That's S-A-K-U-R-A-S-U-T-T-E-R. Do you wonder why you repeat behaviors that don't serve you? Do you struggle with self-love? Are you intimidated by situations where you want to stand up for yourself but can't? If any of those resonate with you, you may be living someone else's story. This can lead to dysfunctional relationships, emotional shutdowns, and regrets. Every part of your life may be a reflection of someone else's story. It's time to live your life. In 2005, spiritual life coach Jeanette Dames realized she was living other people's stories. She recreated her life to live her story and love, joy, peace, health, and prosperity showed up. From this deep transformation, Jeanette has developed a six-week coaching program to help you create your life your way. She can help you make it a dazzling reality. It's time to let go of what you absorbed from others and create the life you want. Visit RiverAngelRanch.com for more information. That's R-I-V-E-R-A-N-G-E-L-R-A-N-C-H.com. Taking care of your body's largest organ can be difficult, but not for Astera Skincare Mist. This topical skin spray supports your skin's own natural healing defenses. Astera Skincare Mist is a light misting spray, free of parabens, alcohol, toxins, and fragrance. This all natural topical skin spray will take the woe out of your skincare worries without clogging your pores. Irritation, inflammation, redness, post procedure sensitivities, no problem. With Astera Skincare Mist, you can continue about your day without the skin dismay. Acne, rosacea, psoriasis, sunburns, rashes, and fungus? Don't let these skin concerns inconvenience you. Instead, let Astera Skincare Mist allow you to be happy in the skin you're in. Available at Sakura Skin and Mind. Learn more at AsteraCare.com. That's E S T H E R A Care.com. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm intuitive medium, spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. 
And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe and share my podcast, Love from the Hip, that's HYP, anywhere you can find podcasts. Today, I have the pleasure of having David Harmon here with us. David is a doctor of acupuncture and an astrologer. Hi, David. Thanks for joining us in the studio today. Hey, thank you so much, Sakura. Absolutely. So how long have you been a doctor of acupuncture? Well, I graduated from my doctorate program in 2020. Uh, before that, I graduated from a master's program in 2014. So it's been about eight years I've been practicing uh, East Asian medicine. And what made you want to become an acupuncturist? Were you, did you have voodoo dolls when you were little? Is that it? No, I'm just kidding. Go <laughs> Not <ahead>. quite. <laughs> but I did have some kind of mysterious symptoms, some skin rashes that didn't get any better with any sort of Western approach. Uh, when I went to my then uh, pediatrician, he said, well, you take these steroids and it'll go away. And I said, I don't think that's the right approach. Uh, so from an early age, that was part of it, my own healing journey. I also have uh, ancestry from Mexico. And so there's a lot of belief and uh, allowance around things like herbal medicine and energy medicine. So I grew up with that frame set, and I think those things contributed together yeah. towards a kind of a healing path. And how old were you when you had your first acupuncture treatment? You know, I actually didn't get acupuncture until I studied abroad in China, so I was probably around 19 or 20. Mm -hmm. yeah. And was it everything you thought it would be? Actually, I was mostly kind of flabbergasted. How could they find where the point was? It was mm -hmm. a point on my leg, and it's a pretty common point to use, stomach 36, but I thought, how does she know where that is? And so <laughs> <laughs> it was more of like a quick demo type of, type of treatment, but it was definitely kind of eye-opening to see how quickly people can hone in on the energy of the body. Yeah, and showing off the art, the practice, if you will. Exactly. So have you studied both traditional Chinese medicine and Japanese acupuncture? Yeah, great question. I When I went to my program here in Seattle at the Seattle Institute of East Asian Medicine, one of my teachers says, it's basically a buffet. You have to eat everything. And so there's... <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's a bit of Chinese medicine. There's a bit of more like hands-on sort of uh, physical therapy, sort of uh, this muscle is tight, so we needle the trigger point. But there's also Japanese-style acupuncture and... Uh, so I had I was one of the people who kind of stuck around with the teacher after I had my shift with him because mm -hmm. I thought it was really interesting. You don't insert the needle and yet somebody's body changes completely. Their symptoms go away. So, well, what's going on here? So I did uh, my second year internship with him and then I followed through with him the third year and beyond that I did uh, other trainings. Which one resonates with you more and why? I would say for me, Japanese styles of acupuncture are easier to integrate for my own body. And so I tend to treat people with similar kind of more sensitive nervous systems. And so it tends to be that I I do sometimes use the Chinese styles. Uh, there's one doctor, uh, Dr. Wan Yi from China, who's considered a, na a national treasure in China now. And is one of his main students, Jason Robertson. So they do a certain style of palpating the channels that's not completely dissimilar from the Japanese style, but it is a bit more pressure. But sometimes some people have better presentations that fit that style. Overall, my first go-to is thinking and treating in a Japanese-style sort of framework. Now, you had also mentioned that your teacher, mm -hmm. as far as placing the points, there mm -hmm. was actually no needles involved. Yeah, exactly. So like you referred to the guide tube and its development, that made a big difference in the way that Japan practices acupuncture. So basically, instead of having to put the needle in, it can go penetrating the skin maybe two to three, maybe four millimeters, but it's really not going deep. And it's mostly a matter of stimulating the point, finding the place where the body is alive to communicate with you. And then from that very shallow depth, being able to help the body awaken, regulate the channels. It definitely works on this chi paradigm, which is becoming less and less the conversation topic within even East Asian medicine. Yeah, I was going to ask you, so with both, though, as far as traditional Chinese medicine mm -hmm. and Japanese acupuncture, mm -hmm. they do both focus on the chi. Yes, that's right. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then so with the needles, is that why would you use a needle versus not yeah. in your practice? Aside from remote acupuncture, which we'll get into later. Yeah. No, when you use a needle, it's basically helping bring the chi faster to that point. It's almost like... Uh, you can use your awareness, your intent as the practitioner to help the body know where to focus. And then the needle just speeds up that, pro that process, especially with specific techniques to kind of rotate or in some way stimulate the fascia because we're still working on that threshold of body and mind, body and spirit. So there's something to be said for engaging the body when we're doing in person. So the needle just adds that little bit of extra 
kind of engaging the channels on the on the fascia level. And then it also involves the client, right? Exactly. Or the patient, sorry. Exactly. When I have treatments with people, I like to let them know uh, what I'm doing, uh, even if it's not using words, because I like to let them know that if their attention is also in that area, there can be a synergy between what I'm doing, what their body's doing. Uh, instead of, you know, sometimes people scroll on their phones yeah. and they're not present. So we're trying to reground the chi. It's the, the reason for the imbalance happens because the body doesn't, it forgets how to bring the chi, the vitality to that area of the body. So we're just trying to remember, remember you can have this in the low back and that'll keep the back open without pain, that sort of idea. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then do you find that with that pain, there's mm-hmm. memories or trauma or mm-hmm. emotional blocks that are creating that blockage to the chi as well? Yeah, definitely. There's some cases where you needle someone's shoulder, for example, and they remember some sort of uh, difficult episode in their life that happened a few years ago. And they said, oh, I just sat in my car crying because of this release. And so part of why I ended up also integrating more kind of energy healing into my practice as well is because sometimes you do get to that with acupuncture. Sometimes you have to dig a little deeper, a little bit around to get to the more subtle layers. But overall, acupuncture does work on that emotional dynamic as well. Okay. And now what are some of the other main differences between the two practices? In Japanese and Chinese. Yeah, Japanese and Chinese. I would say that the biggest difference is that sort of subtle palpation. There's an emphasis on the abdomen. So there's a long history of palpating the abdomen to feel what's happening systemically in the body. In Japanese? In Japanese, yeah. In China, it's not as much using the abdomen. Uh, I'd say there's different branches, of course, in Chinese medicine, but there's sometimes too much reliance on protocols. And so what I like the most about Japanese style is that there's this constant observation of what's happening with the skin, with the temperature, with the even the luster of the skin. You're looking for changes. Mm-hmm. So for me, it becomes this interesting almost a, a scavenger hunt. You're looking for the points that will help bring the body into this kind of energetic fruition, a certain kind of uh, yeah, glowing of the skin, a certain firming of the texture of the muscles. So all these things change. The cues, exactly, right? they're cues. And so you don't really hope that it's going to change. You see the changes as you're doing it, and then you know the prognosis, oh, well, it's going to hold up maybe another week or so, and so the patient's in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Now, I had read that with J- Chinese acupuncture, you allow the patient to bake, if you mm-hmm. will, and you step out. Mm-hmm. Now, in Japanese acupuncture, I read that it was different, that mm-hmm. you're actually there. And, and just as, as what you were saying, you're right. kind of looking for the cues. Is that true? That's right. You're basically, for what my session, which is about 45 minutes to an hour of treatment, uh, I'm there in the room the whole time and basically discerning what else needs to happen. So we start with like a fundamental change. And then just if there's a specific issue, we kind of go from regulating the whole body to doing specific issue work near that area. Uh, But it is kind of working with the body, with the fascia the whole time. And, uh, you know, sometimes the biggest pivotal change doesn't take very long, maybe a few minutes. But Mm -hmm. then after that, there's still ways to regulate the system, the nervous system as well. Now, there's also a difference in the size of the needles, correct? Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm favoring the Japanese, but go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) The Japanese style needles are very thin. Uh, Some of them are as thin as hairs or like 0.16 0.16 millimeters. So, you know, if, for yeah. those who use metric, uh, that's the size. It's very thin uh, versus Chinese style tends to have thicker needles. They're definitely, you feel them when they go in. And so, yeah, I think it's one of those things. I have uh, some of my students at the school. I'm teaching at the Seattle Institute of East Asian Medicine. And they're like, you have all these changes happening and you're not even putting the needle in. Why would you put the needle in? I said, exactly. <laughs> it's good to know how to do both. I'm with them. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing. Like in Japan, there's a strong emphasis on comfort mm. and not having the patient feel discomfort. And really like this style of acupuncture is maybe 10% of acupuncturists use it. A lot of them use more like neurological, muscular sort of models. And so you have to be good to get pe- people to come back, to get patients to come back. Otherwise, sure. it's, uh, you know, they're like, well, that was painful and it didn't help. So there's this kind of, uh, in, in China, there's maybe a bit more of a sense of the burn means is working mm-hmm. attitude towards the mm-hmm. needles. So there's a bit of an aesthetic <laughs> difference there, too. We yeah. have that ideology in skincare as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it's burning, it's active. <laughs> now, are oils used as well? 
You know, in, in certain oils are used for things like cupping. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I'm playing with combining astrology and acupuncture, though, is so some acupuncturists, especially in the States, use things like essential oils that have properties from the plants they come from to help calm the body, these kinds of ideas. And so in the case of combining astrology with acupuncture, you can make oils infused by herbs that resonate with a specific planet made during an auspicious time. Mm, and like then a use talisman. That. Exactly, like a mm-hmm. talismanic oil. So I'm playing with that now. We recently had the sun exalted at 10 degrees of Aries this past Friday. So I made an oil with all these herbs that have a resonance with that. So rosemary, bay leaf, uh, comfrey. They all have this idea of the sun, of the structure, helping keep the body upright, kind of victory, all solar themes. And so basically, one of my experiments I'm working with, because I don't, I don't think other people are doing this right now, but this idea of combining this oil, once it's refined and ready, it'll still take another few weeks for it to be ready. And then after that, applying it to points that have to deal with the structure or with the solar plexus with self-confidence to bring those kind of solar structures into the body. Wow, that's really profound. <laughs> yeah. Is that information that is just channeled to you? or No, well, there's a long... One of the things that got me interested in traditional astrology is that there's this whole textual uh, kind of conversation that's been happening, much like in Chinese medicine from way back, you know, two or 3,000 years ago to now. There's a similar sort of tradition, probably the, the biggest part of it. I mean, you could go back as far as the Babylonians thousands of years back, but really like around 2nd century, something was happening 2nd century AD because Chinese medicine, astrology, they have this kind of renaissance that happened at that time. Mm. So a lot of these things that I'm practicing now with astrology and the correspondences uh, come from times around the Islamic astrologers about 10, 11th century. And so, you know, from studying with other people who are experts in this and kind of experimenting as well, starting to see how to connect with this sort of uh, harnessing the astrological forces for the good. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, do you believe in the astrology that you study, do you believe astrology is fatalistic or can we change it? That's a good question, right? Because there's some techniques where they say, okay, on this day of this year, this is going to happen. And the person gets a promotion and they're like, "Uh, how does that work? But I do feel (laughs) that there's a certain, there's a neoplatonic, thought in like the going back to Plato and his philosophies, there's this idea that each soul is like a a starry soul coming down from the heavens. And as we come down, we make certain agreements with each of the planets, each of the seven uh, traditional planets. So we say, okay, from you, Saturn, I'd like help with conquering the ego. From you, Jupiter, I'd like help with having the network of support of people who will help me in this life and so on until the moon. And so it's basically like, you know, there's an idea of Do we choose? Maybe we do choose when we're born, maybe not, you know. Um, But there's this idea that the alignment, the symbolic timing of the stars when we're born kind of reflects our mission and the things that help us bring humanity to a better place. And so I think there's that kind of baseline of what's, you know, what fate would be, that alignment. And then from there, there's ways to work with these energies so that if you have trouble with career, you can ask for the planet governing that part of your chart to help you out or the specific constellation to help you out. And so there's this, I feel like it's more a communication and it's not like you are fated to have this kind of life and that's it, you know? (laughs) Some astrologers like that. uh, Uh But I do feel like there's a place where, you know, astrology does point towards concrete sort of developments and we have a, a way to change that. If you have a quote-unquote, difficult or bad chart, there's always things you can do to make that better. So it's more of an opportunity to deepen ourselves. Exactly. Like we have our own intrinsic drives and things that we're aspiring to. And so it's how do we channel that into a healthy way? And then how do we align ourselves so that we can improve that even more if there's some sort of blockage in our way? I like that. Now, going back to our relationship with the planets, Mm -hmm. and I imagine as our human consciousness has evolved. Mm-hmm. So has the consciousness of the earth and the other planets. Mm-hmm. How has that changed the relationship in astrology? Or do you think it has? Yeah, that's a good question. It's interesting how things like the outer planets, you know, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, have become discovered as different things in humanity have evolved. So for Uranus with electricity and the use of harnessing electricity, that kind of coincided. And then we have with Neptune things like cinema and, you know, the the positive and negative sides of the illusions of life. 
that sort of came up then. And then, you know, Pluto power structures in the 1930s. So there's definitely a sort of correlation of, you know, some, you know, from a traditional standpoint, you might not use those planets, but they have emerged for a reason. And then beyond that, I'd say that, you know, the planets, they've been around much longer than we have. (laughs) They'll probably be here past us. But I'd say that their manifestations definitely evolve with us. So, you know, certain we didn't have planes back in the second century AD, right. but we can still see how the planets uh, have accommodated, you know, the, the, the things that they signify. So like the sun with birds and flight and that sort of thing. Right, so, or influenced. Exactly. Yeah, uh-huh. so it's like, it's almost like if, if we can, for some astrologers would say everything in reality you can correlate to the different planets. And so there's always... Uh, because of how much they they kind of influence them, they, there's a, always a category that they can include. So even AI and things that are coming up, they're still relevant in the conversation. Okay. Now, br- since bringing in astrology into your practice of acupuncture, mm-hmm. what has that opened up for you in acupuncture or vice versa? What has acupuncture yeah. opened up for you in astrology? That's a great question. I'd say that I like to look at my clients and patients charts before I start treating them sometimes because it gives us a deeper insight. So sometimes like I had one patient who had a really difficult autoimmune inflammatory condition affecting his feet and hands. And so we did a reading and we found out that around the same, almost down to the month when Mars was activated and Mars was not the, it wasn't placed in the best way in his chart. And so it started to indicate difficulties with inflammation and that sort of thing. So it correlated. So in that case, it starts to be, you can work with the body, with uh, herbs, with acupuncture, but you also have this way of, there's called uh, remediation. So working with the planet to help calm down. So for example, in this Mars sort of example, you can work symbolically with the people of Mars. So in that case, it's people like wounded veterans, Mm. um, people who have been to war, and so you can start to make donations, for example, to the people and causes that help them. Mm-hmm. And so there's things like that you can start to incorporate into like symbolic conversations or actions that can help improve these types of things. So it's it's given a new avenue that way. And also it started to give me a bigger appreciation for timing with an acupuncture. There's some people like uh, Dr. Yoshio Manaka has a whole section in his studies uh, where he talks about open and closed points. So there's timings during the day, during the year, when certain points are more potent. And so we can use that idea to say, oh, okay, well, you know, this patient came at 9 o'clock. Right now it's spleen time. It's (laughs) better to treat, you know, that's an earth (laughs) element. So we can use that idea. It's this kind of symbolic thinking, like the thing that's most available right now to then open the body to help nourish it. That's so fascinating. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And with that, we're going to take a quick break, but stay tuned for the Weekly Skinny up next and more Love from the Hip. On this Weekly Skinny, I would like to talk about the connection between oral health and skin health. While there is a presence of both good and bad bacteria in the mouth, an excess of bad bacteria due to infected teeth or gums has proven to migrate to the skin causing breakouts, rashes, or worse, acne, eczema, psoriasis, and rosacea. Dr. Kelly Blodgett, a leader in holistic and integrative biological dentistry located in Portland, Oregon, understands the interconnectedness of oral health, systemic health, and emotional well-being. He believes root canals to be a big culprit when it comes to skin issues. Dr. Blodgett says that since the 70s, gum disease has been tied to heart disease, diabetes, and Alzheimer's, But dead teeth or abscesses and their impact have not been considered until as of late. According to Dr. Blodgett, the problem with a root canal is that while it is meant to remove all of the infection and bacteria, the spongy dentin material used in the process ends up replacing the natural anatomy of your tooth, which includes your fresh blood supply and your lymphatic drainage, in turn enabling the bacteria to climb right back in. And not just bacteria, but also fungi, viruses, and parasites, too. Unfortunately, it is not just the porous dentin material that becomes infected, but also the jawbone. As a result, the lymph drainage and cardiovascular supply, which was already supplying the jawbone area, becomes infected as well. This infection becomes systemic, eventually making its way to your organs, 
which includes your largest organ, your skin. Aside from the infectious aspect of root canals, Dr. Blodgett also explains the energetic impact. A root canal creates an energetic imbalance because each tooth is connected to an energetic meridian. He says, for example, that the upper first molars are connected to our thyroid gland. And so, when people are dealing with Hashimoto's, it is worth it to explore the health of these teeth as well. Of course, Dr. Blodgett emphasizes that every single person is different and therefore has a microbiome unique to them, which means not everyone will react in the same way to a root canal. It also has to do with everything else going on in their life, including dietary choices, stress levels, dental hygiene, and even mindfulness. In addition to dead teeth and tooth infections, metal fillings can also create skin issues as well as allergic reactions. Research has proven that the longer the toxic metals are in one's mouth, the higher the chances are of developing these issues. In addition to replacing fillings, proper dental hygiene and managing one's stress can help keep skin issues away. Welcome back to Left from the Hip. I'm intuitive medium, spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. If you are just tuning in, I'm having a very insightful discussion with David Harmon. David is a doctor of acupuncture and an astrologer. So, David, let's talk about the astrological energies that we're working through right now or that's coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we just had basically like a, a few New Year's and once is what I tell people. <laughs> March of this year has been a lot of transitions. Um, one of the biggest ones, of course, Saturn and in going into tropical sign of Pisces. With this transit, we've kind of had we've had Saturn in its own sign of either Capricorn or Aquarius for about four years, basically starting, uh, especially Aquarius around the pandemic, and so. There's a big shift, you know, air sign Aquarius has to do with air and um, control to some extent. And so we definitely had enough of that sort of um, collective consciousness experience with things like the pandemic, lockdowns, contagion by air. And so COVID is still around, but in this case, it's more, it's not so much about the the air and that sort of theme. Um, Saturn in Pisces, Saturn's not the most comfortable in Pisces. Pisces is this big expansive oceanic sort of realm saturn is uh is not is it prefers other signs especially fire signs air signs uh but in this case we have one of the themes is things like nostalgia actually comes up a lot with saturn in pisces mm. and uh, dealing with emotions especially this first year saturn in the first about seven or eight degrees of uh the sign of pisces has it's like a subsection of Venus. And Saturn and Venus, specifically that combination, can often bring up addiction. And so I think collectively we might have a conversation more and more about these things. Saturn in Pisces also has to do with water, um, both extremes. So excess of water, like we have the excess of rains in San Francisco and other Mm. parts in California. Uh, But we also have, you know, the idea of too little water, so scarcity of water will become a global issue. I mean, we've already kind of been having that conversation with climate change, but it is something that's highlighted within this next two and a half years. So what can I sacrifice to the planet Saturn? Or I'm sorry, not planet (laughs) Saturn. What can I sacrifice to Saturn to help my Pisces self through this transit? You know, it's interesting because people who have, I mean, it depends on a lot of other factors to see who is affected the most, but People who have sun or moon in uh, Pisces will feel it the most. And it depends on what's there. If it's the sun, Saturn kind of brings this cloud of doubt, especially around if it's the sun, your purpose and what you're doing in this world, especially if you have it in the first what uh, few degrees of the sign. If it's towards the end of the sign, then it'll affect you later. But it's this idea that we can use solar uh, remedies to help against the kind of the cloudiness of Saturn to help bring clarity and vitality into our life, uh, but also just in general ways to be friends with Saturn. Uh, one of the things, actually, especially here in the Seattle area, if you feed crows on Saturday, uh, and if you want to be specific during Saturn's <laughs> hour, yeah, uh, crows are friends of Saturn, and so being nice to people who, people and animals that have to do with Saturn, so mm. crows. Uh, people who don't have homes, who have some sort of instability, people on the fringes. So helping organizations who help them or helping them directly 
uh, tends to be a way to appease Saturn that way. That's awesome. So yeah. I'm going to be that crow lady on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to do it in your home <laughs> necessarily. But <laughs> All right. And now, is this where those oils would come in as well? Yes, exactly. Exactly. So like in this case, you know, once the oil is ready for the, sun, for the solar oil, then you could use that to, you know, on Sundays, the sun's day, kind of start to work with the sun, bring more of that. One of the other things that is a solar remedy is helping local theater groups. People uh, who perform tend to be like a solar sort of entity. So, yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your remote acupuncture. So I had an amazing session with you. Mm-hmm. And when you first told me about that, I was like, how the heck is this even going to work? There's no needles. Mm-hmm. He's not even in the same room. <laughs> but it, like I said, it was amazing. Yeah. So my story with remote acupuncture started um, started when I was... Uh, looking at a listserv email with my school and somebody was mentioning remote acupuncture and you know I'd heard of the idea but I hadn't known anybody who has practiced it and so this woman told me about her experience of a patient in Spain who went horseback riding had a fall a severe um, I think she broke her pelvis actually Mm. and so her biggest concern was not being able to return to Switzerland where she was living and so she said "Uh, you know can you help me at least do something so the pain goes down from 9 out of 10 so I can get on the plane and go home and get treatment. And so she said, sure. So she did a session with her, and within, you know, the hour went down from 9 out of 10 to like a 4, a 5, something manageable. So I, I emailed her, and I said, you know, what is this about remote acupuncture? <laughs> and I had some conversations with her, but also through my own exploration of uh, how Japanese styles of acupuncture work, you're engaging with the subtle body, with the subtle kind of signals of the body. And when I was treating some people, I noticed that if I just thought about the specific point I want to treat, that it would already start to change the pulse, which is one of the indications for how the body's doing. And so I said, oh, that's interesting. So you can basically start to use the mind that way. And so I started playing with more and more like, okay, can I do it from the same room, from a different room, from a different state? And I also talked to my acupuncture colleagues who are open to this type of thing. And they said, they said, no, yeah, I feel like my pulse, my lung pulse is changing. You're treating the lung channel. Yeah, this is So they were your guinea pigs first. Exactly. I was like, How great. Yeah, I'm open to a lot of things, but I also <laughs> wanted to say like, well, I don't want to fool myself. And so I started to see there's ways to interact with the body, placing my own awareness as if I were there with the person on the points. And uh over the next couple of years, especially with the pandemic, uh, I was able to develop more refined kind of systems and methods for doing this. That's amazing. So now in the process, you're, are you actually seeing the stuck energy? You know where to go? Because I didn't tell you anything and you knew exactly Like you knew I had a prior knee injury. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you knew everything. Yeah. So it's almost like it's almost like if you're filling the body with energy in the form of light, you can start mm-hmm. to see where things are flowing, where things aren't flowing. So in the same way that like maybe a CT scan with contrast or something, it's like it shows where things are blocked or not. In this case, in this way, you can start to use this kind of the the kind of the mind's eye, this kind of sense of uh, clairvoyance to start to see. Okay, well, this is open, this isn't, and so it's both the um, of this sixth sense, but it's also this felt sense of like, oh, well, I'm not really feeling it in my body per se, but I can say, oh, I I can definitely notice that, you know, in this case, the right knee is not quite opening the right way. There's something blocking there. So that starts to give me a sense of what's happening. And I also also sometimes imagine it's like if I were there with a person, I could feel their channels, if I could feel their pulses, just like an in-person visit, what would that feel like? And I start to get information. Mm. And that's that's where I corroborated with my colleagues. And I was like, no, this is the same as the physical. So, And now is it also like channeled messages that you're receiving? You know, sometimes there is something like that. Uh, I'd say I do, sometimes when I do specifically energy healing sessions, that kind of comes through more clearly. But often it might be like, uh, in this case, it might be a snippet of what happened or the reason why there's that blockage. So like when we were doing our session, I said, it feels like an old accident sort of mm-hmm. energy. And as it feels like happened a while ago, but it's still not quite healed yet, that sort of thing. And I was thinking, bingo. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so now how has remote acupuncture helped to heighten your sixth sense? I know we've kind of been dancing around it. Yeah. I'd say that the more time you spend in this kind of like imaginal place, you know, between the physical and the imagined, there's something to be said that 
the more you spend in that area, the more it's easy to do any of these things, astrology, acupuncture, both in person and remote. So it feels like there's uh, definitely, like when I do, I sometimes I do uh, weekly sessions with a group of people and and the more I've done the remote sessions, the more I can pick up on things quickly. Like, okay, so the upper neck is kind of a bit, a bit more constricted or mm-hmm. the shoulder, the leg. So it starts to be the, just like anything, the more you practice, that muscle develops for sure. Right, absolutely. Yeah. And then I imagine at the same time, it's also heightening your client's sixth sense as well. Yeah, and I think it, it, it heightens their ability to be aware of their body. Mm. And it also helps them start to train the body to find those spaces again so it doesn't become this kind of the same pattern over and over. It's like, oh, wait, I'm noticing the tightness around my throat again. So I can just kind of relax and think of the points we worked on, right? like on my feet. Oh, okay, that's starting to come down. And so that maybe if it's an anxiety or something, it starts to have a form in the physical and we can work on it energetically to kind of bring it down and tra- transform it that way. Now, does remote acupuncture work for everyone? I'd say theoretically, yes. I'd say practically, most people I work with are already quite sensitive. And mm. so sometimes people find that uh, maybe the in-person acupuncture is too strong for them or just by, you know, because of geography, we're not in the same area. But if they're sensitive, they tend to be very receptive to that sort of change and their body can, tends to hold on to that change in a positive way. Or if their nervous system is heightened as well, right? Exactly. So like highly sensitive sort of individuals, any sort of person who has some sort of, uh, often people who work with, like you, like with mediumship, with Mm -hmm. energy, these types of people tend to have uh, good success with remote acupuncture. Yeah, it was definitely successful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, with that, we're going to go out to a break, but don't go anywhere. Love from the Hip will be right back. A health crisis is one of the most challenging situations we will experience in our lifetime. It leaves us frightened, confused, and asking, why did this happen to me? Transformational coach Rory Reich experienced his healing crisis when the life he had so carefully constructed came crumbling down around him. The universe had offered him a challenge. He chose to accept it and to rediscover who he was before it was too late. In his book, Transform Yourself Through Disease, Rory shares his personal journey alongside eight practical steps to help those who are stuck realize their self-impairing beliefs and discover ways of transforming them so they can reclaim their health and create the life of their dreams. Don't let your health crisis define you. Take the next step and transform yourself today. For a free life coaching consultation, contact Rory at RoryReich.com. That's R-O-R-Y-R-E-I-C-H.com. If you're planning on building a home or a major landscaping project, you'll want the team of Stone Resources on your side. Safely, effectively, and correctly working with our unique terrain requires local knowledge and environmental care. For 21 years, Stone Resources has been making sure their customers' biggest investment is on solid ground. Trust your next earth-moving project to Stone Resources. Call 425 754-6792. That's 425-754-6792. Stone Resources. We make the earth move. And remember, if you need dirt or have dirt to get rid of, you can call on us. 425-754-6792. Men, care for your skin properly, starting with your face. Sakura Skin and Mind offers their Gentleman's Groom Clinical Facial designed for your rugged skin. A deep cleansing clinical facial is like a one-two-three punch to wrinkles, age spots, and problem skin. Tame those brows, ears, and nostrils. Sakura Skin and Mind, erasing wrinkles one clinical facial at a time. Learn more at sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U-R-A. SkinAndMind.com. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm intuitive medium, spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. If you're just joining us, I have David Harmon here with us. So, David, how does remote acupuncture work for COVID symptoms? Yeah, you know, one of the earliest times that I did this sort of session with somebody, uh, my friend in Mexico called me and she said, Can you help my mom so she can transition easily? I was like, What's going on? She said, She's in the hospital. She has really critical condition, and uh, her lung oxygen is really low. And so I said, well, let me 
see what I can do. And so I got on the phone with her. I didn't even do Skype or Zoom. It was just on the phone and started doing some work. And of course, she was getting intensive care at the hospital. But between what I was doing and then a few sessions afterwards, she started to have an improved uh, lung function, able to regain her strength and leave the hospital to be taken care of at home. So that really impacted me. It's like, oh, wow, we can really help the body get in the right direction towards health, even yeah. though we're not in the same place. Now, was there any sort of emotional piece tied to that for her? I think so. I think, you know, the lungs have to do with grief. And so there's mm -hmm. a bit of that. And sometimes, you know, the emotional body will influence the vulnerabilities to certain types of diseases and conditions. So I think there might be a bit of that there. But yeah, I was working with her digestion, working with her respiratory system, and all of that helped kind of get everything on the right path. Now, I'm curious because it's tied to grief, the, mm -hmm. whatever's happening in the lungs. Mm -hmm. Would you say that's why collectively we're all experiencing that grief still? I think so. There's a lot of, a lot of grief that's still lingering. Um, and then tied to our, our lungs, right? Exactly. Like we're having respiratory issues. Exactly, yeah. So, so it's definitely multidimensional. Yeah, that's so interesting. So now in Eastern medicine, mm -hmm. where do they believe disease comes from? Yeah, so there's a few different ideas. One of them talking about emotions. Um, each of the organs has a different emotion associated with them. And when, when we have an imbalance of that, that emotion, we can d experience disease because of that. So emotions predisposes to, and lack of regulation around them predisposes to certain types of disease. So the lungs, sadness, the liver, anger, uh, the heart, excessive joy. So there's certain patterns like that. Um, we also... In Chinese medicine, think of the body as a microcosm and a microsystem. So we're not separate from the wind, from the dryness, from the dampness of the environment around us. Mm. So here in Seattle, when it's cold and damp, if you don't take care of yourself, that that becomes reflected in your own digestion. You can have loose stools, difficulty with uh, energy levels, fatigue. And so there's this interplay with the with the kind of weather, the environment, the climate. And so that's another sort of place. And of course, things like external trauma, things like car accidents, any sort of physical trauma, that's also uh, cited as one of the main causes of, of disease in Chinese medicine in the classics. So with, with each of those categories, we have different ways of approaching it. But in the end, these imbalances are created and we can resolve them. And now can we heal ourselves? Yes, of course. <laughs> Not to put you out of a job or myself, <laughs> but just curious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think of my job mostly being a conductor. So yeah. I'm helping, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, what if you played, you know, the cello a bit more here and the French <laughs> horn here more? So it's really the body's doing all the work. I'm not I'm not taking any sort of like, oh, I did this. It's it's more like being a keen observer from the outside and knowing oh, this is what's not working and here's we need to wake this part of the body up. I love that yeah. analogy. Yeah. Now, Zodiac Angels, tell mm -hmm. us more. Yeah, so in my study of astrology and incorporating energy healing, Zodiac Angels go back as far as, you know, Mesopotamian, Babylonian ages. Uh, and they, they play a role within like a Jewish mysticism as well. And so that kind of branch of, of knowledge has come into Western esoteric sort of thinking with astrology. One of the ways we can divide the zodiac of 360 degrees is of five degrees each. So we have these 72 angels of the zodiac. And so we can think of, we can think of these as uh, intelligences from the, the celestial realm. They're kind of um, beings who are almost like... A, computer program. It's always running there and you just have to access it. You have to, mm -hmm. you know, call for them to come and help you, but they do have specific skills to help, you know, make it easier for your life in different ways. Now, why did you choose to bring those in to your practice? Yeah, I found that um, they're good to work with both, um, you know, calling on their names, meditating on their names to bring good spiritual energy to help with uh, just our spiritual nourishment on a day-to-day -day basis but also because they have specific jobs that they do. It's a nice way to kind of work. It's almost, it's, it's almost like with the saints in Catholicism, you know, growing up partially in Mexico, there's definitely a lot of that influence of like, oh, you ask this saint for this, and if you lose your keys, it's this saint. Yeah. And so it's a similar sort of idea with these angels. They have, each of them have their kind of strengths, and you can call on them to help you with, with different things. Now, do you have an aha moment yourself when you call these angels in for your specific clients or patients knowing what, what it is they do? Like for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, in your case, it was interesting because, you know, 
I looked at your chart and I looked at what different angels, especially on the ascendant and the midheaven. And so for the ascendant, we have uh, about uh, 16 degrees Leo for you. And the angel Shahahia is, is called on to protect health and defend against illness. And so it's interesting. You have this whole show, this whole passion for helping people deal with these things. So that's one of the correlations. And then the other thing is uh, for your midheaven, we have about six degrees of Taurus. That corresponds to the angel Cajetel. And this angel helps dispel negative energy directed towards us, um, helping you know drive non-human evil entities away. So as a medium, somebody who works with energy on that kind of uh, that plane, on uh, the astral, it definitely helps to have that support. So it's it's really curious how people's life missions and then the angels supporting them kind of line up. I love that. Mm-hmm. Everyone has to book a session with you. <laughs> Please, yeah. <laughs> so I have to ask really quick, um, you, you have an upcoming retreat. Can yeah. you share about that? Yeah, so I have an upcoming retreat in November, November 9th to the 17th uh, this year. And then next year we have March 15th to the 23rd uh, planned. And so this is with a couple of my friends who do also energy work and sound healing. We have it planned to be in Akumal. Uh, seven days of immersing ourselves in nature, connecting with this, the energy of the sky, of the earth, and having this kind of holistic experience together. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, how can my listeners book a session with you or learn more about you? Yeah, so you can find out information for the retreat and my own sessions at harmonhealing.com. That's harmony without the Y, <laughs> harmonhealing.com. And uh, that's, I have my link for in-person. I'll be in Seattle until the end of May, so I would have in-person sessions there, but also, of course, remote acupuncture anytime. Um, and I also have, yeah, I have a few other offerings, including the retreats there. So you check out that link and it has everything there. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being here today, and thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Sakura. It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. And thank you to Eric, my lovely producer, you the listener, KKNW, Timber Country, and Cape Town Zone Radio. You can find me at sakurasutter.com. Tune in next Wednesday for another episode of Love from the Hip. Stay kind out there, stay true to you, and don't forget, make self-love contagious. Go ahead, I dare ya. Is your tween starting to experience a change in their skin? Want to get them on an easy at-home routine and have good skin hygiene? Allow Sakura Skin in Mind to help your tween out. This brief, deep cleansing and educational 35-minute facial is just enough to get your tween, ages 10 to 12 years old, started off in the right direction. Sakura Skin in Mind uses the latest in the clinical skincare industry to care for your tween the right way. Sakura Skin in Mind, treating skin out there with an ounce of treatment and a pound of protection. Call 206-730-7429 or go to sakuraskinandmind.com.